Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. This is Beth Center on VSN, the sports betting network. Hour number three of Beast and Bet Center as we welcome you back to our Circus Sportsbook Studios in downtown Las Vegas. Back in Jennifer, I'm Ben Wilson. We have continued to see uh, all sorts of interesting happenings around the NFL in this week 18 doubleheader. Uh, the, the couple of updates here, and probably the last time we need to update this game in what has just been an onslaught. Dallas uh, now up 21 3 in the second half alone, so the Dallas second half betters will get their money. And the second half total has gone over. Because why not, Adam? Uh, this is a game that went over on the full game total in the first half. 51-20 to 20 for Dallas. Rushing touchdowns by Ito Smith and Jaquan Hardy. Having us in the last break. Basically like Vern Lundquist and Happy Gilmore saying, uh, who the hell is Happy Gilmore? But <laughs> you found out about said Jaquan Hardy, who had his, what, second carry of the year? Second carry of the year. First career touchdown out of Tiffin University in Ohio. Actually played his high school ball at Westlake. Uh, which was about 15 minutes from where you're, I grew you're up. Our, you're our Ohio guy. Where, is, where do the Tiffin Dragons rank in the collegiate power rankings of Ohio um, athletics? Um, I don't know. They're in the Great Midwest Athletic Conference. <laughs> so. That's not made up? That's, okay. They're not made up, no. No, okay. Division two. D2. E2. Congratulations. Good for him. Jaquan, I don't think anybody was offering a Jaquan Hardy anytime touchdown. But if they were, and if you... <laughs> Look, to, like just to recap today, Drew Locke, two touchdowns. If you bet that, you're a very wealthy individual. Yeah. If you bet uh, either of the the wide receiver, two touchdowns, Cedric Wilson or Dalton Schultz, you made a lot of money tonight. So somebody did. And whoever they did, whoever did that, congratulations. Uh, not exactly Gardner Minshew's finest night, uh, though, tonight uh, for Philadelphia as they are going to lose. Go to they will end up nine and seven. Dallas will go to twelve and five. And in order for them to get out of the four seed, they're going to need some sort of combinations of Tampa, the Rams, uh, some of those orders uh, losing one of at least one of those to have the potential to move up uh, tomorrow. So we'll see how that plays out. Philadelphia going to be either the six or the seven. Now at this point, uh, going to be locked in here to the seven seed, the Philadelphia Eagles. While we uh, while we have basically wrapped up our in-game coverage of that tonight, Adam, we can turn our attention now towards Week 18, the rest of the games that start tomorrow, and we'll begin with probably the most interesting circa millions consensus picks all year. But we're down to the we're down to the final week, and uh, if you're trying to, like trying to submit picks, I mean, making any pregame bets this week is a very ridiculously hard task. Doing it with stale lines that are locked on Thursday morning. Uh, it can be a blessing. It can be a curse with how quickly news shifts and with how these picks were due today at 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. So as we play the little game we like to call fade or follow, there we go with our five consensus picks this week. Pick number one, the Pittsburgh Steelers, nearly uh, actually just over 1,150 plus six against the Baltimore Ravens. This is a number now, Adam, that is currently down to Baltimore laying three and a half. Uh, Pittsburgh, after having a couple of Key starters go on the COVID list uh, quickly had them cleared after essentially 
one day. Joe Hayden, the cornerback, center Kendrick Green as well. So they are good to go. Uh, some Deontay Johnson also uh, off of the COVID list as well. So seems like Pittsburgh is going to be relatively at uh, full health here, even though their left tackle, Dan Moore Jr., doubtful, and defensive end Isaiah Bugs is out. You fading or following this consensus play here, Adam, with the Pittsburgh plus six? Well, it's certainly nice to have the six as opposed to the three and a half that's out there in the marketplace right now. So. But, but with that being said, I was going to fade Pittsburgh this week anyway. And in fact, I did laying Baltimore minus five. Now, of course, three and a half. I'm debating if I want to put a little bit more on this one. All right, a few things. One, I don't know how Pittsburgh comes off of what happened on Monday night with the giant send-off for Ben Roethlisberger. Their playoff path is very, very challenging. It's certainly more clear than, uh, clearer, I should say, than the Ravens' playoff path. But just after what happened with Pittsburgh last week, uh, the Browns completely no-showed in that game, which was an absolute embarrassment for them. I don't think Pittsburgh's a very good team. I've been trying to fade Pittsburgh most of the year. Negative in yards per play differential, giant negative in point differential. I just don't think they're a good team. Whereas Baltimore, I think they're still a pretty good team, despite the situations that have happened with them. I don't think there's a big drop-off between Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson right now. So I actually laid the five with Baltimore, and I, and I may go back to the well a little bit here with the three and a half. If this somehow gets down to three, Adam, I am totally with you. This is a play on Baltimore. I I like, I mean, even even looking at the six, like I would just I would fade that as well. Uh, Jeff Parles, who normally sits in your seat, he loves Pittsburgh this week. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're kicking Jeff out, Adam in because he's on the he's on the Ravens this week. Uh, we will fade that play. I, I'm I'm I've been kind of ringing the whole uh, the whole bell of all right, Tyler Huntley. Not at all a worse quarterback than a a compromised Lamar Jackson right now. All like his advanced numbers have been better than Lamar Jackson, even though the, obviously the sample size is less for Tyler Huntley. But what they're getting out of him right now versus what they would be out of a compromised Lamar Jackson is is simply better. And you think about the first meeting between these two teams, where Baltimore out time of possessions Pittsburgh by 13 minutes. They like they had a what 77 percent win probability in that game going into the fourth quarter. But they commit 10 penalties, negative one turnover margin, give up 17 fourth quarter points, lose 20 to 19 in that game. That has kind of been Pittsburgh in a nutshell all year, pulling these games out of the inner workings of their rears that they had no business winning. And in the end, like it still comes back to the fact that Baltimore is 11th in rush DVOA, even with Huntley at quarterback last five weeks, second in, in early downs running the ball. And Pittsburgh is a bottom five rush defense team. They are 29th in run stop win rates, have not gotten the production out of the defensive line stopping the run, even though it's been a different story against the pass. This is a game where Baltimore is the better team. Similar, as you mentioned, similar long shot odds for both teams to make the playoffs. And in a rivalry game like this, I know why people are gravitating towards taking the points because it's a rivalry and we just saw a one point game between these two teams about a month ago. But I'm totally with you. I like Baltimore given all that we know about this game and the fact that that first meeting was as fluky as it could possibly have been. Uh, for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I just, uh, Pittsburgh's not a good football team. You mentioned some of the advanced metrics, more of the traditional metrics, don't like them. Uh, and Baltimore, I, I don't know what this means. Maybe it's just gamesmanship or coach speak, something like that. But John Harbaugh did come out earlier this week and say, you know, I think this is the best week of practice we've had in a long time. And, and that was part of my thought process with Baltimore minus five is Harbaugh probably has his team ready to try and finish this season on a high note. He's a very good, very, very well-respected head coach in that locker room, on that sideline. You know, we've seen the clips of him asking, do you want to go for two here? And the players just resoundingly say yes. I think they show up for him here. I really, truly think that they do. And if they do, they clearly are the better team. Mm -hmm. I mean, every single time we've felt, you know, the, the narrative has been, all right, well, Baltimore, 
This is the week where they have so many injuries they can't possibly overcome it. They have they have responded every single time. Really, the only exception was the Cincinnati game where they were just so outmanned, and the Bengals came in and uh, and and totally hammered them in that game. So we're gonna fade. We're gonna fade. We're pick fade. number one. I wonder what we're gonna do with pick number two because the San Francisco 49ers and the LA Rams play one of the most fascinating games of Week 18, the number two pick in Circa Millions this week. The San Francisco 49ers. A lot of people out there who laid four four-figure dollar amounts to get into this contest, Adam, are relying on the health of one James Garoppolo in uh, San Francisco, who uh, they nearly a 1,000 people picking the San Francisco 49ers in this spot market currently. They've really been toggling between uh, four and four and a half most of the week, though today did go down to three and a half. So definitely a sense in the market total, by the way, still you see their odds via vison.com, essentially market-wide at 44 and a half. The thought that Garoppolo, limited in practice all week, is going to be able to give it a go, uh, even though some of the reports coming out saying, like, based on, on the injury, him gripping the ball was a little bit difficult at practice. Clearly, betters are going against Matthew Stafford here, uh, Adam. Been a good guy to fade, even though the Rams have won over the, on a five-game winning streak. Stafford, five touchdowns to six picks over the last three weeks. You can understand why people would want to take points here with the Niners. A lot of question marks with both quarterbacks. Which side are you leaning here? A lot of question marks with both teams. Uh, I will say I'm kind of leaning towards following this one. I I do think getting points in a game that I expect to be close is something I do like with the 49ers. With that being said, you know, we just saw Dak Prescott hang around in this game forever so that he could set a a team record. (laughs) Matthew Stafford here, I don't think he gets it because it's a really big number, but he's 342 yards away from 5,000 for the second time in his career. Only two guys have thrown for 5,000 yards twice in a season. One is Drew Brees. And the other will be Tom Brady tomorrow when he gets 10 passing yards. So Stafford does have some incentive. Obviously, Cooper Cup has plenty of incentive in terms of hoping to be the all-time leader in receptions for a single season. And yet, I still like San Francisco in this game. And part of it is because the Rams have not played particularly well against playoff-caliber opponents. The 49ers are really good. I mean, from DVOA, they're a very good team. I think they're a well-coached team with Kyle Shanahan. The question is Garoppolo and Lance and how that situation plays out. But getting the four here, I sort of feel like I have to take the points just because I think this Mm -hmm. game will be close. Look, I totally understand that. The game I'm not going to be playing because I I could see kind of like the Charger-Raider game. There are a lot of different scenarios and outcomes I could see happening here. Advanced metrics basically look at these teams as being essentially equals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you would think with that, probably like a three-point spread. And to me, I, I was prepared to really like San Francisco this week. Uh, the injury report, though, is brutal. It's oh. not just, it, to me, it's more than Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, who at least, you know, did practice some, and we think will go. I mean, Trent Williams, their, their standout left tackle, doesn't practice all week, questionable with an elbow injury. Five defensive starters, questionable, who had limited or no practice. Another two, questionable, will they come off the COVID list? We're not sure. That, to me, against a extremely clean bill of health here for the Rams. The fact that they have gotten such mediocre to below-average league quarterback play out of Matthew Stafford this past month, basically. And they've still reeled off five straight. Well, I, well, to me, there are some significant issues with this team that will be borne out in the playoffs. You have to give a lot of respect to Sean McVay for, for doing what they've been able to do. It's basically with a quarterback who has single-handedly held them back in a lot of these games. And a team who's lost five straight in this rivalry to the Niners. Niner team who knocked LA out from the playoffs two years ago. Who handed them their first loss at SoFi last year. I look at McVay in a spot like this and trust him, knowing that he has gotten through three straight games where Stafford was basically a replacement-level quarterback and won the game. I would lean to, to fade that and, and take, a, even even though it's a four-and-a-half-point four number, lay it with the Rams. 
but I don't feel that confident about it. That's just my my thought here on uh, where I would potentially lean on Sunday. The one thing is Stafford's actually the best second half quarterback in the NFL this year by QB rating. That's last remarkable. week, last week, fourteen of fourteen, hundred sixty-two yards and a touchdown. He's been bad in the first half, good in the second half. So maybe that's an angle you look at here with San Francisco, maybe winning the first half or at least covering. And there are going to be some games where we start to discuss these first half uh, lines, not something we normally do, but week 18, different uh, different formula. We'll discuss that. Uh, we'll finish out our rest of our millions consensus picks. We'll discuss Falcons, and we'll talk about that Sunday night game next, right here on VSIN Bet Center. is Beth Center on VSN, the Sports Betting Network. If you missed any part of our show or anything on the VSN schedule today, don't forget to check out our free sports betting podcast. Catch replays of all our shows or download and listen on your schedule. Go to vsn.com slash podcast and get Beating the Book with Gil Alexander or Market Insights with Josh Applebaum. Plus, we've got Hardwood Handicappers, The Lombardi Line, Follow the Money, Coast to Coast Hoops, and many more. They're all free and available now at vcin.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts as we welcome you back in another touchdown they're still they're still scoring touchdowns in philadelphia and ben wilson 51 26 quez Watkins scores a garbage time touchdown with 150 to go as there have been uh, uh what 77 points scored in a game that was lined 46 and a half uh second half which was 21 and a half dallas has scored 21 on their own in the fourth quarter and uh, Quez Watkins joins the party now. If you had him any time, touchdown. Five catches for 84 and a uh, touchdown. So 51-26 likely going to be our final score. Uh, the, the, even though these are Saturday games today, Adam, did not prevent at least a number, 948 people in Circa Millions as we continue to fade or follow the consensus. 948 people on the Chiefs earlier today, minus 10, which was never even close really to covering. They were fortunate just to win the game. Uh, minus 10, so kind of a bizarre selection there. Easy, obviously, to say in retrospect, but consensus going into Sunday, a big old 0-1. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I would have said fade this because I like the under in this game. So, uh, you know, obviously the, the Broncos covered, and we know that, so it's easy to say fade this, but I was expecting kind of a lower-scoring game. I, I didn't expect Denver, frankly, to get to 24 points, and it was a situation where I think, that, you know, they've held a lot of teams. If you look at the expected score in this game with the spread and the total, it was generally in the area of Kansas City 27-17 until we saw that line go up mm-hmm. to 11 and a half. The Broncos had only given up 27 or more points four times this year. So I was really expecting their defense to show up nicely in this game and the offense to do virtually nothing with Drew Locke. So I had the under in this one. That Therefore, I would have been on Denver plus the points with you know a big spread and a low total and also a low-scoring expectation. But uh, Denver gets the cash. It was just a higher-scoring game than I anticipated. Right. We assume... Final game for Vic Fangio as head coach and Drew Locke probably in Denver. That's kind of what we think, even though he looked decent today. Rushed for two touchdowns, but yeah, yeah I mean, you have to think. I, well, there was some buzz this week, like, oh, maybe they because you know, they want to, you know, they want a head coach in place to potentially go into free agency in the quarterback market. I mean, you can't possibly keep Fangio around, can you? No. The only way you can keep Fangio around is if you get someone who you think is an elite offensive coordinator and quarterback mind. Because I think defensively, this Broncos team is very, very formidable. They run the football well. They had a lot of injuries on the offensive line. They had the COVID issues. I mean, even today, Bobby Massey slips on a patch of ice and gets concussed. Like, a lot of bad luck for the Broncos on the the injury side, specifically on the offensive line. 
you could justify keeping Fangio around and keeping this defense and this scheme intact. You would just have to find somebody you really, really trust as an offensive coordinator to lead that search for a new quarterback or, you know, potentially groom that quarterback if they go that route with the draft and, you know, anytime soon. So you could do it. I don't think that they do. But, I mean, you have to respect Fangio's ability as a defensive mind. Yeah. I feel like we had the exact same conversation when Vance Joseph was coached. Like, hey, great defensive mind. Yeah. Can we just relegate him to defensive coordinator? Like, right. That's not how that really works in the NFL. Final score is uh, is true now in Philadelphia. 51-26. Dallas gets the win. Uh, Philadelphia with the loss there. So 9-8 and eight Eagles. Cowboys go to 12-5 and five for their 17-game season. 4-5, and five, both a pair of underdogs on the Circa Millions consensus, Adam. We look first at the Falcons-Saints game. Pretty simple for the Saints coming in. They'll need a win and a loss by San Francisco, a game we just discussed, a game we both could certainly see you know, going any direction in that uh, spot. So the Saints come into Atlanta, laying right now in the market, uh, basically uh, market-wide, three and a half, see a couple with juice on the dog. I mean, this is sort of trending, Adam, the way that it might go down to three. Consensus is Falcons plus four and a half in this spot. Would be so ironic if you get the, the Rams taking care of business and then the Saints are unable to win in a game where they could win and, and get in. Uh, but four and a half, a lot of a respected opinions certainly coming on the Atlanta side. Or are you going to follow this uh, this train? I know we've been harsh on the consensus so far, Adam. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm going to follow this one solely because, again, you've got a low total here where I think I'd rather be on the side with the points as opposed to the side laying the points. I don't really like either one of these teams in this game or just sort of overall. I will say, I will give Sean Payton a ton of credit. I mean, the fact that the Saints are still alive for a playoff berth in Week 18 is a phenomenal coaching job. Just an absolutely incredible coaching job. The Falcons have been very disappointing. I mean, look, Cordero Patterson's been their entire offense. I don't think Matt Ryan has really taken well to this Art Smith offensive scheme. I think Matt Ryan still has a lot of tread left on the tires, but you know, we haven't really seen it here so far this year. I'll take the four and a half because... You know, look, I, again, I think this is a very low-scoring game with a couple of offenses that are very limited, but this is not a game I have any play on personally, side or total. I will be, I will give a little more, I'll go, I'll go a little harder on the foul. Although, you know, I'll try to make the case here to make it okay. for, for the people out there because I do like, I do like Atlanta this week at the four and a half and probably down to, I mean, even down to three and a half. If you're getting, getting the hook at least on that, I do like Atlanta in this spot. What you say is, I think, I think well-worded that, for Sean Payton to have this team at eight and eight with Taysom Hill, a guy whose 69.8 quarterback rating is better than only among qualifiers, Trevor Lawrence and Cam Newton this year. He's been bad. Oh, there are other advanced metrics out there that are not kind either to take to uh, Taysom Hill, but we've watched him. We don't need to go down that, down that rabbit hole because he has been a bottom three quarterback in the NFL this year. You look last week. I know you were on Carolina last week, just a, a pretty vicious loss. Mm-hmm. that really swung on a missed field goal with Carolina down by one in that game, where New Orleans, as an offense, 15 first downs, 4.8 yards per play. The last five weeks, they've been bottom three in the league in early downs, not only overall, but again, running the ball as well, 31st in rushing, last five weeks, 29th in overall early, early downs, only because of their plus-two turnover margin and because the Panthers couldn't do anything. They eke out that, and you know, they win the eight-point game at home. We've already seen an Atlanta team with basically no offensive weapons outside of Kyle Pitts and Cordero Patterson go into the Superdome and win outright with a slightly better quarterback in Trevor Simeon. So you're now reversing things. I realize there's probably going to be like 40,000 fans in, uh, in Mercedes-Benz tomorrow. Not like Atlanta really has much of a home field advantage, but to me, these teams are 
basically equal with a slight nod to New Orleans based on the strength of their defense. They can win games solely on their defense alone, but at four and a half on the road in a game where you've done this with smoke and mirrors, you could somehow win and and you're potentially in with a Niners loss. I just don't buy it. Rams are the Rams and the Falcons are both going to win outright tomorrow. It would be like my bold prediction of the night here. And in a very hilarious way, you're going to get a nine and eight Niner team back their way somehow into the playoffs. I just don't see it with, with new Orleans. Unless Matt Ryan single-handedly beats you, if you're a Falcon better, that is really the one scenario, kind of like what we saw with Sam Darnold last week and how that single-handedly screwed you with your Carolina bet. Not to make you relive it, but that's essentially how that played out, really. New Orleans didn't do anything on offense. Right. Well, and here's the question, I think, and I think this is a really important question to ask. If both of these teams are 7-9, and nine, what's this line? Is it closer to that pick range that you're kind of alluding to here? Because, again you get this must-win inflation. And to me, must-win means must-not-be-very-good because you're in a situation where you have to win for your playoff livelihood because you're a marginal football team. You're a mediocre 500 type of football team. So we probably do have a little bit of an inflated price in this game, and certainly the move down from 4.5 to 3.5, you know, to me that sort of suggests that this line was too high earlier on in the week. And the consensus apparently picking up on that here in the Circa Million. Uh, you made a stronger case than I could because I, I don't really have anything on this game, but I agree with everything that you said. And, and like I said, if both of these teams are 7-9, and nine, are the Saints really laying a number here in Atlanta? I don't think so. And you know, look, strength of the Saints offense is their O-line, which has been totally depleted. They will be without again. Teron Armstead, basically a lost season for him. The left tackle, Brian Ramchek, questionable with a knee injury who's also basically barely played the second half of the year. Marcus Davenport, defensive end, questionable as well. Big injury to watch coming into Sunday morning. Kyle Pitts for the Falcons, uh, questionable with a hamstring. Did get out in practice a couple times, though, this week. And uh, keep in mind, big big rivalry that people don't really think about. This is a big rivalry game, as is the Sunday night game. We've discussed it a little bit already, uh, but if, if you missed it uh, earlier, we had Arash Markazi on to uh, discuss Chargers-Raiders. But the Raiders were the number five pick in uh, millions. The consensus here this week, Adam, at getting the three points, I think the natural thought is like, all right, p- toss some game. We're just going to t- take the home team getting three points. I don't know how you could possibly play this game. I, I have zero conviction on either side, Adam. Can you make a case for uh, for either one here? Not for the three. I, I kind of like under 49 and a half a little bit. We talked about it earlier with this Cowboys-Eagles game where there was zero meaning to this game for the most part, and it winds up flying over the total. The higher the stakes, the tighter the game ends up being. I think we could see a situation where maybe Brandon Staley kind of goes away from some of those fourth down calls that he's made, you know, kind of gets a little bit more conservative and maybe plays the field position game a little bit more risk averse based on what's at stake here. Um, I just look, the first game was 28, 14, neither team moved the football that effectively the Raiders could not run the football in that game, which is a giant red flag. (laughs) Yeah. Worst Uh, rushing defense in the league with the Chargers. I, I don't know. I don't know how you, Get to Raiders plus three to be a consensus play. I don't. I don't either. trust either one of these teams. I certainly don't trust the Chargers, who have a history of failing or falling short of expectations. I, but then again, I, I can't say I would follow or fade it because I just don't know what to make. I would. I would fade the Raiders. If anything, I would play the Chargers, but I don't have the, the confidence to do so. This game comes down to can can the Chargers O line hold up against the Raiders pass defense? Because Raiders twenty fifth defensive pass DVOA, even though their D line has been really really good, top top seven pass rush win rate team or unit this year and we saw how it didn't really hold up in the first meeting not sure it does either on uh, Sunday night either way those are our consensus picks we'll get into the rest of our week 18 NFL card on the other side right here on VSIN Bet Center 
This is Bet Center on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. A new prop tracker now available on vcin.com for you to keep up with key NFL props. Head to vcin.com to get current odds as well as the movement each week to follow the trends and find the best value. Track the odds for MVP, head coach, rookie of the year, and more. Check out the prop tracker, betting splits, key trends, and matchup data for every game now at vcin.com slash NFL. As we welcome you back two and a half hours in to our four-hour odyssey here on vcin Bet Center, Adam Burke at Skating Tripods. Thanks for filling in, by the way, tonight, man. Absolutely. We're just, Happy you know, to do it. We're casually like, hey, come on for four hours and talk uh, in-game betting and NFL. And you you agreed. Saturday night in Vegas. Saturday night. What better do I have to do? Uh, yeah, that's a, <laughs> a very good point. Uh, ben Wilson with you here. Thanks to our entire crew as well. Brian Ortega, our producer behind the glass. Mikhail Bala, who just uh, brought on a nice steaming hot pizza into the into the production. Of which uh, room, we didn't Of get which any. we did not get any. And uh, Nick, who asked us not to use his last name for governmental <laughs> identification purposes. Um, he's doing a great job as our technical director tonight. Just we a uh, sec. He's just like hiding yeah, out back there. Basically. Uh, we continue on with our NFL Week 18 previews as we go through now all the games who did not make it into the Circa Millions consensus, but that's just you know one Nevada-based contest. There's a lot of angles here to look at. And we start uh, with a couple of high-line games who are both in that, that category, Adam, of win and in slash win and clinch. And we'll start with the win and in. Indianapolis Colts, who go to Jacksonville, they got as high in the market that so we, we saw this during the week, as high as 15.5 Indianapolis. Little buyback here today on Jacksonville. This line got down to, in, in some spots behind us here at Circa, 14 is your number. Indianapolis in Jacksonville. A lot has been made this week about how Indianapolis has not won a game in Jacksonville since 2014. Survivor players, including myself, will remember week one last year when the Colts were the most popular survivor selection as a eight and a half point favorite. And uh, the Gardner Minshew train uh, just terrorized the Colts and won that game outright. So there has been some... There's been kind of some upset talk, which, to be honest, kind of surprises me, Adam, because I feel like people have just conveniently forgotten that this Jacksonville team is an absolute dumpster fire of an NFL collection of bodies heading into Week 18. But having said that, I under you know you get a, a team like Indianapolis with out a high-powered quarterback in Carson Wentz, more of a ball control run first team. You can understand right why there would be some of the some of the respected money taken a nibble here with a high line in Jacksonville, but. At what point does this become a little bit overblown and and almost thinking, not like trendy dog territory here with the Jaguars, but it feels a little, I don't know, I feel a little uncomfortable with how many people are like, oh yeah, Jags, sure, they're going to cover this with ease when we just saw them give up 50 to a New England team that kind of fits the profile of Indianapolis pretty closely on offense last week. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, the only thing I could really take a look at in this game, and I know the first half line is going to be a little bit inflated throughout the market, right. but Indianapolis in the first half, I mean, again, we we keep harping on this with the Dak Prescott thing with the five touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor needs two touchdowns for 20. I mean, that's a, a nice round number for a running back, something that I'm sure he'd like to get, something I'm sure his offensive lineman would like to get him, and then also, too, trying to make that case for that offensive player of the year hardware where he's going to have to go up head-to-head with Cooper Cup. So I think the Colts, at least in the first half, have a lot of incentive here. They don't have any incentive to win this game by significant margin. This is one, sort of like what you and I were kind of waiting for with the Cowboys. If they get ahead, then they will call off the dogs. They will go ahead and pull everybody. And I think that they do have the chance to do that. They are clearly, far and away, the better coach team. Carson Wentz has actually played really well this year. You know, I know everyone looks at the highlight reel interceptions. He's mm-hmm. only had six picks this year. Everyone sees the really ugly things, but he's actually played quite quite well in this Frank Reich system, which makes sense. He's a good fit for it, being very familiar with a Frank Reich system. Then, of course, you've got Taylor. 
And Taylor's probably on a pitch count in this game. Fully understand that. I think the first half Colts is the way to look, even at the inflated price. I don't want any part of the full game here because we're a lot of people seem to be taking for granted that Jacksonville just absolutely shows up. I, I don't I, know that they I don't know will. how you guarantee that. I, I don't think you nope. can. Yeah. Uh, nine and a half, by the way, is your market-wide first half number. So again, and this will follow the trend here of the, it's not exactly your, your normal 50-50 split where you're 14 full game, nine and a half first half. Let's also consider the first meeting between these two teams. It was 17 nothing. He basically had barely settled in to watch the, the early slate. It was at like, you know, it was what, uh, 10, 20 a.m. Pacific time. And all of a sudden the Colts were up 17, nothing. And they, I mean, they needed a late Trevor Lawrence fumble at midfield to win that game 23, 17. So there's definitely an element of like for, I think from the start, just for winning the game here, Indianapolis understands the importance of getting off to a good start, given their past history, struggling in Jacksonville. They know, too, that at least in that game, the Jaguars were a team that played hard for 60 minutes, and they, they at least kept that game tight, which to me leads credence to your thought here on getting off to that uh, that solid start. And overall, I mean, kind of the same thing we talked about in the first meeting where you have a, a number one rush DVOA team behind the best running back in the league in Jonathan Taylor against a bottom 10 unit in that same uh, category for Jacksonville, who has done terribly in basically all facets of the game this year, but especially um, trying to defend the run. Uh, so I, I had no hesitation throwing this into a 14 money line parlay of which we'll, you know, we'll kind of go through all of the, the legs as we go into it. I have no concern at all. I mentioned how I've got the Colts to make the playoffs plus money ticket from, uh, from earlier in the year. No, no thoughts of hedging this whatsoever. I think the, the whole upset talk, I mean, people, I, to me, it's one of those things where people are agents of chaos. We all love chaos. And people have really wanted to talk themselves into this whole narrative of, oh, Raiders uh, charges. What happens if the Colts somehow lose? And we could see these teams kneel on the ball for 60 minutes. It's a it's an absurd statement. It is. Sure, if the Jaguars somehow win, like I look like an idiot, but Colts are winning this game. Yeah, the Colts are winning this game. And again, I mean, you've got a, you had a three-score spread in this one with a low-ish total in the 44 range. You know, that's something that, that math guys are just going to almost automatically play. Right. You know, so of course this line comes down a little bit. But like I said, I... I see no indication that Jacksonville shows up and cares in this game. They've got significant dysfunction again all over that organization. You know, from the owner on down, they they're it's, it's not even just a Trevor Lawrence issue. Like their play design and scheming was awful. Dudes running into each other, you know, 10 yards downfield, Lawrence has nowhere to throw the football. This team is ready for this season to be over. I I think it's no really presumptuous to think that Jacksonville shows up here. On the three games under Dara Bubble, outscored 106. And again, with two of those games against the Texans at home and against the Jets on the road, the two of the three worst teams in the NFL, you're outscored 106 to 47 in those three games with Dara Bubble. Impressive. <laughs> it's hard to do. Uh, very impressive. So that is Indianapolis. Jacksonville, the other one of these involving AFC South teams, is a game with a, a much lower line, although it's been right around that, uh, that double-digit range Tennessee going to Houston remember Houston beating Tennessee earlier this season uh, back in week 11 thanks to five turnovers for the Tennessee Titans kind of hard to believe that that was back when Adrian Peterson was your Tennessee Titans starting running back but he was on that day (laughs) Texans got the win as a similarly priced they were about a 10 and a half point road underdog Titans are now laying 10 and a half in a lot of spots this has been back and forth between uh, 10. I see 110 at uh, South Point, 11 behind us at Circa, the rest of the market here at 10 and a half. I guess the same question needs to be asked that we just talked about here in the Indianapolis game. Any, again, probably an inflated line because of what is at stake? Tennessee wins, and they have the opportunity to get a bye week as the number one seed, have the, have the chance to, to get Derrick Henry 
in, in another week to get uh, back to fuller health and get him ingrained in the offense for a divisional round home game. Uh, but any worries about Tennessee here going on the road to a team they've already lost to and to a team in Houston who has looked live, even though they collapsed late last week, didn't cover against the Niners. A team who's looked live under David Culley here in the, in the second half of games. Yeah, and look, obviously we're talking about a different line, as you mentioned already, mm-hmm. but I don't think Jacksonville shows up. Houston's been showing up consistently. They are not a good football team, but you know, a couple of weeks ago, they beat the Chargers without Brandon Cooks. And in that game, without Brandon Cooks, I mean, he had far and away the most receptions and receiving yards of anybody on that team. You could add up like the next three guys, and they got close to what Brandon Cooks was doing on his own. So this is a team that's still really fighting, still really showing something, and I am not high on the Tennessee Titans. I know that they've been without Derrick Henry. I know they had some big wins early in the season, but they're negative in yards per play differential. To be a number one seed, that is outrageous. I don't think I've ever seen that before, and I may never see it again. The defense is solid, but the offense is just not good. Ryan Tannehill does not facilitate this offense well. They've had injuries at the wide receiver position. I think it's a big ask to get them to beat a team by margin here. I I may end up looking bad on this one. Maybe they do show up, but I, I kind of like Houston plus the points a little bit. I almost wonder, too, if cause we talk about some of these first half lines, like you're going to see, and I'm looking up right now, again, Tennessee minus six and a half first half. I'd actually be more inclined to look first half on Houston because they, they have been a team that has not really shown the ability to play for a full 60 minutes with the exception of that Charger game you alluded to. But like last week, I mean, Houston looked like the better team for 35 minutes and then just completely collapsed. To me, I could see it being tight early. Tennessee, if it were not for the awful performance by Tennessee in the first meeting, and when with their guard, I mean, their guard could have been down in a game. Like, let's say they'd won like 40-3 to three over Houston in the first meeting. I would actually worry about Tennessee kind of pulling a Chiefs today where they don't really take their opponent seriously on the road, don't really show up and, and play incredibly soft for three and a half quarters and need some breaks to win the game. But because of that first meeting, I, I imagine Mike Vrabel has his guys ready. But to your point, it's pretty remarkable that a team that is, what, 22nd in Team DVOA is on the precipice of being your number one seed right. in the AFC. By far the worst number one seed, at least on the Football Outsiders metric ever to, to do that. Uh, but I, I have enough confidence to throw them as well in my Moneyline Parlay this week. I think they get the job done. I think and, they uh, win. I think it, this could be a scare, though, for a while. But as we saw like what happened last week, I mean, the, the, when things go bad for Houston and they start to disintegrate, it goes bad so quickly. I still feel bad for guys that jumped on Houston plus 15 early last week. That was, that was such a brutal week. I don't yeah, know it was. What are you going to do? Oh, well. But we're going to take a stab, maybe. Houston, 10 and a half. Up to 11. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know if that'll make Adams plays, but uh, we still have more games to discuss. Week 18 NFL. The handicapping continues next here on VEASAN. This is Beth Center on VSN, the Sports Betting Network. VSN has a great new offer to help make this your best betting year ever. Our all new big game, big dance special provides VSN Plus all access to everything we do from now through April 5th. That's right through the NCAA tournament for only $69. Sign up now and get our daily best bets emails, 24-7 video access, the upcoming big game in college hoops betting guides, plus full access to VEASAN.com with our exclusive betting split breakdowns on every single game. It's one of the most exciting betting seasons of the year, so don't miss out on one of our best deals of the year. Visit VEASAN.com slash big deal 
to sign up today. As we welcome you back in, Beeson Bet Center running through the Week 18 slate of the National Football League with Adam Burke. I'm Ben Wilson. We have touched on you know, kind of the, the, the gamut, r- running through it all, Adam, with a big range here. We've got large spreads. We have games with everything to play for, games with nothing to play for, and we'll talk about a couple of those right now because the Green Bay Packers, in, in, a, in the line that it has, pro- well, well, we'll talk about the two games that have had the most line movement of any this week. Packers is number two, only the game we'll talk about next. But Green Bay opens in a lot of spots, an 11-point favorite coming in, which was a little ridiculous in the first place, assuming... Like, there's no way Aaron Rodgers is playing the whole game. But it does come out that Rodgers you know, says, hey, I want to play. And Matt LaFleur's like, yeah, I'm not going to. Aaron Rodgers is going to play, I guess. If he wants to play, he'll play. Line goes all the way down to, this was as low as Packers minus two. Uh, with, you know, again, it was 11 down to two with the assumption he wouldn't play. And now that as he has certainly come out and said he wants to and seems like he will at least start the game tomorrow along with the Packers starters, this has slowly trickled up. We saw this get as high as four before some of the buyback coming to the Detroit side, especially with the news that Jared Goff likely to go tomorrow. Questionable most of the week. Hasn't played the last few weeks with his injury, but going to give it a go for Dan Campbell in uh, the final game of the year for the Detroit Lions. So it's it's sort of settled now at this point, Adam. Packers minus three. I'm fascinated to see what, our, what the first half line settles into here because uh, Green Bay is laying three and a half right now, first half, and they're laying three for the game, which seems kind of crazy, but... As you were alluding to, I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you consider the likelihood of Rodgers probably not going much further than a quarter, half max, you would have to think. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, look, this is a situation where Aaron Rodgers and the Packers just want to stay sharp. You know, they're going to get that bye. They don't want to have effectively three weeks off. I mean, Aaron Rodgers hasn't been practicing a whole lot with that toe injury. So it's one of those things where he wants to try and stay sharp. They know they have the bye next week. And Sometimes that buy can be a little bit of a detriment to a team. You know, we've seen teams coming off the buy get upset in the in that first playoff game because they don't don't look crisp. They don't look ready to go. So I understand why Rodgers and the Packers want to try and at least treat this for a little while like it's an actual game. Uh, Devontae Adams, he's going for the team single season receiving yards record. Uh, he's not very far away from that, though. I believe he's only 22 yards away from that. So he'll get that. But it's one of those things to me where first quarter – first half, something like that with Green Bay, probably first quarter more than anything, because they will be out there ready to go. One thing I think you could take a look at here, and in fact, I wrote about this in the Best Bets article over at vsin.com, is I think the first half over could be worth a look here in this game, because if Rodgers says he wants to play, he wants to throw. He wants to be out there and stay sharp. So I think the Packers do end up throwing a fair amount in the first quarter of this game. And for the Lions with Jared Goff coming back, you know, Eamon Ross St. Brown, they're trying to get him uh, the rookie record for the Lions and all these other different things. I just think both of these teams throw a lot early in the game. So I like the first half over. I think it's 23 out there in the marketplace. 22 and a half. 22 and a half. Yeah, I do like that quite a bit. First quarter line, Packers minus one. I like that too. Which is interesting. First first quarter total, seven and a half. I like that too. We're just adding things here. Packers first quarter money line minus one sixty five. I don't know. I keep, keep I'll go ahead and I'll lay the points at that point. But yeah, I mean minus one. Seems, yeah. It seems a little. I mean, I guess obviously, excessive. obviously, there's more juice there because it's a first quarter. So right. the, the greater implied odds that you have like a seven seven game. Mm-hmm. They're they're making you and minus one by the way is plus a hundred. So even money on the Packers to be leading uh, after. Uh, after a quarter. Well, you mentioned too what what we've seen happen to teams in the past with one seeds in particular. I wonder how different this would be because a lot of the you know the participational you know the I guess the, the momentum here has come from the Rogers side of things and 
thinking back to what happened in 2011. Because what's fascinating is Green Bay, for all their success, they have not been in a Week 17 slash 18 game that has mattered for that has I should say they have not been in a Week 17 or 18 game that has had zero seeding implications, even though they've been high playoff seeds a bunch since the 2011 season when they had the 15 and one record. And the number one seed locked up. Remember, that was the infamous Matt Flynn game. Throws six touchdowns, beats Detroit 45-41, earns himself a boatload of cash to go to Seattle and lose a starting job to Russell Wilson. But that was really the only time in the Rodgers era that has happened. They've had either divisional titles or pretty big seeding implications, like a one seed to play for every single year since then that they've been in playoff contention. So I wonder how much that is on that was kind of on the mind, Jake, to your point of Rodgers, because that was, remember, probably the best team they've had in the in the Rodgers-Packers era. And they take the bye week, week 17, rest of starters, then the bye week after that, and they lose as, what, an eight-point favorite to the Giants in the, in the in Eli Giants' second Super Bowl year. And you hear him talk about, like, legacies and all that stuff. Like, he still thinks about that game uh, a lot. And that was one of those, like, bitter, bitter pills to swallow for the Packers. You have to think, even though it's been a decade, like, those are the types of losses that stick with you. And they still think about that, I, I have to think. And that's probably why we're, we've seen this come out the way that it has this week. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and also, look, I mean, keep in mind that regardless of who they play in the divisional round, it's going to be a very formidable opponent. You know, I mean, the NFC is very, very strong. And I think that Rodgers just wants to try and do anything that he can to account for the fact that they're going to have a tough game in that divisional round, even though it's going to be at home. Weather could obviously be a significant factor. But... You know, this is a guy that, like I said, he, he's not practicing much throughout the week. His, his practice is going to be going through this game. He probably won't practice much next week, and maybe in the lead-up to the game he could a little bit, but you can certainly understand why a guy like him wants to stay sharp here, and and I think we can kind of play on that in the markets with a first quarter, uh, you know, Packers minus one with a first quarter over, stuff like that. I think that's really what you do with this game, and, and whatever happens after halftime happens. I like that approach. You know who's at that uh 2011 divisional round game. I'm guessing you were. I was at that game. It was like minus five degrees. Uh, it was very cold, and the Packers lost. It was not a not a great day to be me in the stands of Lambeau Field. Uh, speaking of you know, our, our own teams and games we've been to, I know you've been to many a Battle of Ohio over the years. Some great some great memories, I'm sure. As a oh, Cleveland of guy. course, yeah. Maybe not one that will be written uh, that will be etched in the you know the the minds of many you know for tales to tell the grandchildren. But uh, Bengals do play the Browns tomorrow. It is a battle of Ohio. My my Browns plus one eighty to win the division tickets from the preseason have have officially been discarded into my home recycling bin. Couldn't even make it to week eighteen with that with that ticket alive. So you At least you recycle. I, hey, th- thank you. My mom is proud of me for doing that. <laughs> Try to help the environment. One little paper betting slip at a time. So actually, that's one of like two paper betting tickets I even have this entire season. The, you know, the extinct nature of actual paper betting tickets. Right. Yeah. Kind of gone away. But in this game, mention how this was the, the game with the most line movement of them all, where based on the, you know, the, the differing thoughts of who was going to play and Zach Taylor coming out, the Bengals head coach, and basically saying, uh, we're all basically sitting essentially this week. It finally confirmed with Joe Burrow being out. This line was at one point, Bengals laying three on the road in Cleveland, who will not be playing Baker Mayfield, Case Keenum getting the start tomorrow, has gone as high as six in the market. We did see a little bit of buyback today, down to five and a half most shops, or a five at the south point, and I see you shaking your head on on how that line got to that point. You've been a, probably of all of our VEASAN posts and analysts uh, following the Browns as close as anybody this year. Um, why? Were, I know your question was, why were the Browns favored that much, even with the uh, the differences in personnel? 
Yeah, I mean, look, there's a chance, I guess, that Case Keenum being a quarterback gets this team to give an effort. But Monday night was pathetic. You know, as somebody who's grown up with a Browns team, it's been an absolute laughing stock. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger's like 25-2-1 against them. You have a chance to spoil his final home game. Ben Roethlisberger was like 23-46 of 46 for 123 yards. He was the better of the two quarterbacks in that game. And I understand that Baker's not playing here this week, and that's fine, whatever. But I don't think the Browns show up. They've got issues in the locker room. I don't think Miles Garrett plays, by the way. That's not something that the market has accounted for at all. Denzel Ward's not going to play. Nick Chubb is said to play, but he'll be on a pitch count. I just, I don't understand how the Browns got up to six here. I took the Bengals plus six. I absolutely had to. I They could very well win the game outright. Wouldn't shock me at all whatsoever. I don't think the Browns show up here. I, I just don't think that they do. They've been through so much as a team. They got COVID at a very inopportune time once again, much like they did last year. Cincinnati... Zach Taylor's building something there, and I think he wants his backups to be crisp, whereas the Browns, this is a throwaway game to the extreme for them. Uh, I think at five, the Bengals are still worth a look, and hey, you know what? If if I'm wrong and the Browns actually exceed expectations for once, I'll be kind of surprised. I'll, I'll take embattled Browns fan Adam Burke's word, word for it on, on this one. I just though. sound dead inside, don't I? If Kevin Zafanski <laughs> went to Case Keenum in week I mean, after, like, let's just say after the Thursday night game where they beat Denver. If Case Keenum was your starter the whole second half of the year, are the Browns in the playoffs? Maybe. I think they would. Could be. I think so. Would. Be. I think they would. Definitely. I think they actually, they, I mean, Baker Mayfield single-handedly cost them multiple games this year. They're probably going to miss the playoffs by, uh, by a game when all is said and done. Uh, so I, all I will say is Brandon Allen, the last NFL quarterback to have a 0.0 rating accomplished against the Ravens last year. All I would say and push back to your, your banquet stuff. That's all I'm saying. More NFL Week 18 previews still to come as we roll on right here on VEASAN Bet Center. 